the September leaves are wilting on their twigs. I hope none of them perfectly canopy a submission of dog shit when they fall. Welcome to the Blind Boy Podcast, you carefree Cassandras. If you're new to this podcast, I always recommend going back to some earlier episodes, or even beginning at the start, which is something a lot of people do, to introduce yourself to the lore of this podcast. If you're a regular listener, you know the crack. So, with this week's podcast, um, it's going to be about something current. I tend, I tend not to have my podcasts very current. I tend not to make a podcast about something that's happening right now, because when I do that, it kind of dates the podcast, and then it sounds weird to listen back to. Which is why when I say to you, listen back to some earlier podcasts, because I tend not to date my podcasts very heavily, you can go back and listen to something from 2018, and it won't matter, you know? But with this week's podcast, I do want to make it about something current because something very important has happened and I really, really want to draw attention to it because it has it has global importance and it's globally significant in terms of social change. So I have listeners to this podcast all around the world. So chances are, wherever you're listening to this podcast from, especially if it's a city, I would wager that a huge worry in your life is the rent that you pay your landlord. All around the world, rents are becoming really, really high to the point that it's impacting the quality of life of an entire generation the world over. It's particularly bad in Ireland, uh, in Dublin in particular. We've got a homeless crisis, which we haven't seen the likes of it since around the time of the famine, I'd say. You have... The psyche of a generation in Ireland has been has been impacted by this. You've people in their fucking late twenties, thirties, forties, living at home with their parents. You have people who have given up on the concept of actually owning their own home because all their money is going on rent. You have people not being able to have children because they can't afford to have children because they have to worry about paying the rent. They also have the insecurity of a home, so they're not having children for that reason. You could be an adult in in your 30s in Ireland in a long-term relationship and you, you don't have the agency or choice to live with your partner because neither of you can afford to live together. You might live with three strangers in the same bedroom in Dublin and this is happening to people who did what they thought was the right thing to do. People who went to college, people who chose a career, people who have a good job, have a good salary and a good wage. I don't intend to be classist by saying that because I simply believe that everybody should have access to housing regardless of how much money they earn. That's that's my belief. I don't think that access to housing should depend upon how much you earn or healthcare or education for that matter. But I am I'm highlighting the fact that people who people who are earning a lot of money can't afford rent in Dublin. That's the point that I'm making. That's how bad things are. And in Galway, and in Cork, and it's happening in Limerick, and in Toronto, and in Melbourne, and in New York, and in San Francisco, and in Barcelona, 
the list goes on. The single greatest issue that is impacting the quality of life of an entire generation in Ireland now is housing. And it's that simple. And we're seeing this the world over. So why is this? What's that about? Why, why in every major city in the world is our rents just terrifyingly extortionate? Well, a huge contributing factor is investment funds, also known as vulture funds. So what's happening is an investment fund is a giant faceless pile of cash, okay? Imagine it as thousands and thousands of people, people's pensions, people with little investments, little bits of money here and there, or incredibly rich people, putting all their money into one big pile, and then the fund, which is like a corporation, manages this pile of money, and then it takes this huge, huge billions, this pile of money that loads of people own, and then it buys property with it. So investment funds are buying property the world over, and then profiting from it through renting. And then what happens is the investment fund grows because it's profiting from the rent. And then if you invested in that, you get a return on your investment. And these investment funds, a lot of it is people's pensions and stuff like that. But you're seeing a massive generational transfer of wealth. And what you're also seeing is the 1%, the rise of the 1%, the the huge wealth inequality in the world right now, which is continually growing. The gap is getting larger and larger. And one of the reasons for this too is it's real post-recession shit. We had what we call the Great Recession in 2008. Well, when that happened, a lot of people, average people, lost their homes, lost their businesses, right? So a lot of people were left quite poor, but the buildings were still standing. Now they were quite cheap because everyone was poor. Who had the money? Investment funds. And this is why sometimes people call investment funds vulture funds because they're picking at the carcass of the recession. And now this situation is kind of out of control to the point that people don't have a quality of life. Put it this way, if, let's just say you live in Dublin, or San Francisco, or London, okay? And because you must rent, because you don't have the option to live with your parents, and you definitely can't get a house, because they're too expensive, so now you must rent, if... Here's my little hot take around it. This is what concerns me about this. There was a system of governance, if you want to call it, or an economic system in the Middle Ages called feudalism, where serfs and peasants didn't own their own property. They didn't have individual freedom or liberty. They basically worked for a lord or a noble, and that was it. Well, the investment fund situation is teetering the world towards that a little bit again. If your choices and personal freedoms are starting to feel coerced because you must rent and because your rent is too high, then that's starting to dip into feudalism territory. If you'd like to have children but you won't and can't because it doesn't seem feasible due to how you can access or afford a home, then the system is coercing you. Similarly, if if you have a partner and you can't live with them, If you have a husband or a wife and you can't live with them because you're up in Dublin and to live together is is beyond your means so instead you have to live separately with three other people in a room then the system is coercing you and that 
that looks a little bit like feudalism. So agency and control and self-determination and liberty are gradually being taken away from an entire generation, the world over. And then you take into consideration the climate crisis and the next 100 years. And it's like, fuck that. I don't like the sound of this. What can we do now to stop this shit? Now, if you want to learn more about this, I, I've been I've been passionate and interested in this issue for fucking years. I made a documentary in 2016 called Blind Boy Undestroys the World Housing. I made it for the BBC where I investigated this entire system, the entire global system of housing and rent. And I did it with a team of journalists. It was about a year's work. So it wasn't just me baiting away on a laptop. It was me working with a team of journalists doing a lot of research. It got longlisted for a BAFTA. I was very happy with it. So if you want to see, if you want to learn more about that system, get a look at that documentary, Blind Boy Undestroys Housing. And it used to be on BBC Player, but I think someone uploaded it to YouTube now, so you, you can watch it anywhere. And I, I looked at that entire system, from the from the big to the small, and I even looked into how some investment funds, now not all, but how some investment funds are actually used as a way to launder Huge amounts of actual criminal mafia cash. But anyway, why do I want to do the podcast this week about investment funds? Because this weekend in Berlin, the people of Berlin got together and said enough is enough. And they had a referendum, a public vote. And 56% of people voted to expropriate property from investment funds. Specifically, to about 250,000 apartments in Berlin that are controlled, are owned by these investment funds, the people of Berlin had a vote and said, no, the state, we we have a referendum that says, you must now sell these properties to the state and the state will turn these private properties into social housing. Housing that is available to whoever needs it, regardless of their income. And the people of Berlin did that over the weekend. Now, it's a non-binding referendum, which means that a, a few more hoops need to be jumped through. But still, the people of Berlin got together and democratically said, no fucking way, this isn't right. Our rents are too high. Housing should be a human right. Fuck off. And it's hugely inspirational. I think it's something that everyone should be talking about. I didn't see enough of it on the news for something so important. And it's deeply relevant to everybody in the world. To everyone in every city in the world. It's like, hold on a second. Look at what Berlin Berlin is just after doing. How can we do that? So what I'm doing is I'm bringing back on a guest who I had on only shortly ago, about two months ago. I'm bringing back on Dr. Rory Hearn. And Rory is an expert in social policy in Maynooth University. And he specialises in housing. And he's an expert in this field. So I'm bringing Rory back on to speak about... To speak about what happened in Berlin. To speak about investment funds. To speak about what we in Ireland or you in Canada or wherever the fuck. What we as people can do to stop the exploitation of housing by investment funds. And also we speak about CETA which is a trade agreement that hasn't been signed yet between Canada and Europe, which is something that would threaten people's capacity to follow in the footsteps of a place like Berlin. And before I get into the interview, um, 
one of the first steps that the people of Berlin took is they collectivized. Okay, they organized together through tenants unions, and in Ireland, there's a union called Katu Community Action Tenants Union. Their website is katuireland.org, and I'll just read out how they describe themselves. What is Katu? Katu Ireland is a union for communities and tenants. That means renters, council tenants, mortgage holders and people in emergency and precarious living situations. By a union, we mean you and your fellow members coming together to combat common problems. An organisation fighting for collective gains in the homes, communities and lives of all our members. So if you're concerned about housing, if you're concerned about your rent, I strongly advise you check out Katu Ireland and consider becoming a member of Katu. So check that out. That's how you build a collective. That's a union. And organisations and collectives like that were hugely important for the people of Berlin in getting this referendum. Because we can have that in Ireland too. We can have that in Ireland. I'm going to give Rory a little plug before we get into the interview. Um, Because it was very kind of Rory to come on Come on to this podcast for a second time. Rory has a book called Housing Shock by Rory Hearn. And it's basically about it's 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 about housing, it's about everything he's going to be talking about here. So check out that book by Rory. I'm gonna go straight into the Ocarina pause now so that uh, my chat with Rory isn't interrupted. So here's the Ocarina. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, this is an advertisement for better help. I have frequently attended therapy for the past 20 years when I experience anxiety or depression or when I have difficulty Naming and labelling my emotions. Identifying my emotions. I often seek the help of a professional therapist to improve my emotional literacy. I've attended therapy in person and I've attended therapy online. If online therapy is something you might be interested in, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, it's convenient, flexible and it's suited to your schedule. All you got to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So give it a go. 
get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash blindbuy today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash blindbuy. That was the ocarina pause. You would have heard an advertisement there. I don't know what for. It's algorithmically generated and inserted by Acast. Support for this podcast comes from you, the listener, via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. This podcast is my full time job. This podcast is how I earn a living. I love doing this podcast. I adore it. But if you like listening to this podcast and you're consuming it quite a bit, it brings a bit of joy to your life. Just please consider paying me for the work that I'm doing. If you've ever found yourself listening to this podcast and saying, fuck it, if I met Blind Boy in real life, I'd buy him a pint or I'd buy him a cup of coffee if I met him. Well, you can via the Patreon page. That's all I'm looking for. The price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month. That pays my way. That's how I earn a living. And if you can't afford that, don't worry. You can listen to the podcast for free. Okay? If you don't have a job, if you just don't have the money, you listen to the podcast for free. It's grand. And if you can afford to pay me for the work I'm doing, you're paying for the person who can't afford. So it's a lovely model based on kindness and soundness. Everybody gets a podcast. I get to earn a living. Also, quite importantly, what it does is it means the content of this podcast is independent. Advertisers can't tell me what to chat about. They can't say it to me. They can't edit my content in any way. And if they were to try, I have the agency to tell them to go fuck themselves. And this is a real thing. I'll give you an example. Recently, I recently I, I contributed to... It was a charity organisation were doing something about homelessness. And it was to be broadcast on television. And I contributed a piece to this. And it was basically a few words where I speak about the crisis of homelessness in Ireland and how I support this charity and the things I usually speak about. But what I included in the few words I said was, is so I spoke about homelessness is bad. I'm very concerned about this. I'd like to see a solution. I spoke about that. But I also said, in Ireland, and this is a fact, in Ireland, the government has put the solution for homelessness to the private market. So we have a system in Ireland right now called emergency accommodation, which means that if you're homeless in Ireland and you want temporary housing, emergency accommodation, you're put into a hotel. So there's hotels and other places all around Ireland and they receive money from the government to give homeless people emergency accommodation but the problem is there's a lot of money to be made there so there are businesses in Ireland profiting from homelessness so because of that you're actually not seeing a solution you're seeing families living in hotel rooms for fucking years in inhumane conditions and the the hotel is profiting massively from government money so how can you have a situation where homelessness is to be solved when a huge amount of money is to be made from homelessness. They, they've they turned people's misery into a commodity that can be milked. That was cut out of the broadcast. It was okay that I said that homelessness was bad, 
It was okay that I said I'd like a solution, but when I said there are businesses in Ireland profiting from homelessness, the TV station cut that out. Now, I don't know why, because it's a fact. I'm not lying, that's a fact. That's what emergency accommodation is. It's an atrocity, it's a stain on Ireland, it's a fact. And I'm guessing it was cut out because it probably would have upset a few advertisers. So that's why it's important that this podcast remains independent and listener funded. I do not have to worry about that on this podcast. I can say what I want. There are advertisers on this podcast. That's part of my contract with Acast, but they have to play by my rules. So support not just mine, but any independent podcast that you enjoy. Support that podcast. And that support doesn't necessarily have to mean monetary support. Share it, talk about it, leave reviews, stuff like that. Follow me on Instagram, Blind by Boat Club. Follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash the Blind by Podcast. So here's my interview with Dr. Rory Hearn, who is an expert in social policy, is an expert in the area that we're chatting about. And if the previous 15 minutes or whatever, if that sounded bleak, because the situation situation is bleak, the, this conversation with Rory is, is not necessarily bleak. This is an empowering and hopeful conversation that shows options, solutions and possibilities. And that's why I wanted to do it this week. I don't want to do a podcast where we all hear about how terrible the renting situation is and walk away from it feeling like crap. You don't need that. I want people to feel empowered and to feel a sense of agency and to see a roadmap for, ah, This is what we can try to do here. So I want you to to walk away from this podcast with that feeling and I hope you do. Also, if you enjoyed the chat with Rory, I spoke to him about eight podcasts back in an episode called How to Solve the Housing Crisis, where we spoke about housing in general. Here we go. So Rory, can you tell us what happened there in Berlin? Why is it important? And how can we do this in Ireland? Because people online are like, not only people in Ireland, everyone around the world, America, people in London are going, holy fuck, have you seen what Berlin are after doing? How can we have a bit of that? Yeah, it's, it's really inspiring. I think it's, you know, having been working on the housing crisis and your listeners know, you know, the impact of the housing crisis and we talked about it the last day on people's mental health, on people's lives, is just, it's horrific. And we only heard last week, you know, the poor lady in her 50s living mm-hmm. in a shed um, with just running water. That's in Ireland because she can't afford the rent. Mm-hmm. We have students this week going to soup kitchens in Cork yeah, because they can't afford the rent. So this housing crisis, so what's happened in Berlin, and why I think it gives us a bit of hope is because... So what has happened in Berlin for people who haven't a clue? What what, what did Berlin just do? So the people of Berlin just voted in a referendum which they organized and held. And the referendum has called on their local government to essentially buy or expropriate, which is a big word, um, has a lot of connotations in it, essentially take or buy back housing units off the big, what we would call vulture funds, real estate, corporate landlords, who control a lot of property in Berlin. 
And what this referendum does is it really marks, I think, one of the biggest challenges to the drive of global finance to take over our homes and convert generation rent into permanent commodities for them. This is the first big slap in the face back. Um, Because that's what we're seeing globally. We're seeing large investment funds basically buying up swathes of property and then they make their money from rent and that money then is is pensions of older people and stuff like that and and just just people who are investing isn't it yeah exactly and this isn't just some benign you know you know investors are investors they make money they set up a business the global strategy of these companies these funds is to actually create a permanent renting class. They want a new feudalism. They do. Absolutely. They do. And in Ireland, we can see it as a sort of, it's been referred to as the return of the absentee landlord. Yes. This, this, and and I think people in Ireland and renters, obviously, and people who are stuck living at home, but renters in particular, there's something still deep in our psyche that says, thinks back to the famine. And everybody mm-hmm. who went to school in Ireland remembers that image of the thatched cottage yeah. with the battering ram and the family and the sitting outside it. Yeah. And that sense that everybody knows. We know what mass evictions are. Mm-hmm. We know what it's like for people not to have a, their own home. This country was built on the expropriation, the, the, not the exposure, should I say, the exclusion of people who couldn't afford a home. And so evictions are very, very powerful. The idea of people having their own home is is part of, like, this country built people's homes. That's what it did. That's what the state was built on. Yeah. And and these homes in in Berlin, they're ex-council flats. So these are flats that were at one point built by the state and then somehow ended up into the hands of of private ownership and were then exploited by these uh, vulture funds. Yeah, it's a complicated enough story. And... I suppose the, the important thing for listeners, for people to understand, is that the big global vulture funds, and some of them are German-owned, they're not just foreign, but they bought a lot of these units, as you said, back off the state 10, 15, 20 years ago, when these council houses were privatized. Mm-hmm. And what they've essentially done is massively increased the rent. So rents have increased by around 85% in the last 10 years. And it's worth mentioning too that in in Berlin in particular, I th- I think, isn't it like seventy percent of people rent? Like Germany yeah. has had a culture of renting for quite some time. Yeah. And all because rent has always been pretty decent in Germany, and people haven't felt the need for home ownership. Exactly. Yeah. So renting has been is is people, and I you know think of it. That's where their forever home is. They have secure lifetime tenancies. They had up until the last decade generally considered affordable rents mm-hmm. you're right it, i think it's even close to 80 percent of people in berlin wow. rent. so you know overwhelming majority of people and what happened was that as these corporate landlords if we call them or investor funds took over more and more of the properties they own you know close to half a million properties yeah um, one company alone owns yeah. close to half a million properties like that's a massive number i said they they've uh, jacked up the rents and they've evicted people. And so what's happened over the last couple of years is that the tenants in Berlin have got organized. 
So they've started mm-hmm. or they had protests. They demanded a freeze on rents. And we had two years ago, the local council in Berlin implemented a five-year freeze on rents. Mm-hmm. But what happened was the national, or what's called federal, uh, court of Germany overruled that and said that that was unconstitutional. So the the tenants then and renters in Berlin in response organized this referendum. Because a referendum for people who don't know is when people vote to change something in a constitution. Isn't that right? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. We, you know, we think, you know, everybody knows the marriage equality referendum. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows, you know, the repeal referendum. Well, in, if you're yeah. from Ireland, obviously internationally, they wouldn't have the, the same understanding. But exactly that. A referendum is is where the people vote on a law um, or a change in a, on a law or a change in the constitution. It doesn't have to be just the constitution. It can be they vote in favor of the government or a local government to implement a law or do something. So it's essentially a popular democracy um, action where people have to vote on an issue rather than just voting for, let's say, a politician. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in this referendum, the Berliners went out and organized it and, and the, the tenants unions, their campaigns, they went out, you know, weekend after weekend, day after day. They had to organize, I think, close to 200,000 signatures to get the referendum held. They went and did it. They organized it. Then they got the referendum held. Then they had to campaign for the majority of people to support it and they got it um, and mm-hmm. that was you know a huge it's well over 55 i think it's close to 56 percent of berliners voted for this and i think it's a real as i said i think for for people across the world it's a beacon of hope that people who feel so beaten down by rents by the lack of affordable housing the lack of hope to see the people in berlin stand up Go organize this. Get it. It's just, it's it's incredible. It's inspiring. It's hopeful. Now, I saw a few a few naysayers online said that even though they voted for this, that there's still a lot of hoops to go through before it actually goes into effect. Is, is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. And that's why, you know, <laughs> it's hopeful. It's great. But yeah, there's more steps to go on it. Um, it, it is not, a, a, a referendum is not binding. So that means that, the government, local government, doesn't have to implement it straight away. It's like a recommendation. Okay. Um, so it's not legally binding. And even if the local government in Berlin says, okay, we're going to implement this, the national government can come in and say, well, that's it can be challenged under the constitution, that it's unconstitutional. But for the people and the renters of Berlin, it's massive to get this. Because they mm-hmm. what they're saying very clearly is, okay, if you don't do this, we're going to keep pushing for more. And yeah. I think that's the real sign of hope. Because if you look at what's you know happening at the moment in Ireland, I know, you know, getting feedback like renters are they're despairing, they're frustrated, they're talking about emigrating. Yeah. And I think that we need something like that here. We need something that could, you know, garner people's sense of anger, frustration, and demand for homes rather than because what's happening here i was looking at the figures there we have about fifteen thousand um of our homes in this country are now owned by corporate landlords yeah like that's a lot of homes that's a lot of homes yeah and it's increasing year by year they're buying up most of the apartments and they're outbidding the, the humans that are left that can possibly afford a house are often being outbid by giant faceless piles of cash that's what these investment funds are Exactly. And 
it's fascinating that the very funds in Germany that the residents there are voting for their local state to buy the units off them are also those very same institutional funds are here in Ireland as well. Yeah. You know, the German and, funds are here. And, you know, if we look at one, like, I just. If you don't mind the, me talking about this, yeah, Rory, right, recently, uh, you were. So uh, uh, an investment fund is, is has threatened you with legal action because you use the word vulture. Can you talk about that? <laughs> I can, yeah. Um, I call them Heinz, the non-vulture fund now. Okay. Uh, or Heinz, not the vulture fund, Heinz. Um, yes, I, I, I tweeted that. I can't believe it's not a vulture fund. Exactly. I cannot believe it. It squawks, it flaps, it eats carcasses, but it's not a vulture fund. Yeah. Um, it's but a crow. Might have been a crow. Not too that, sure. I'd, that's what it is. I'd say it was a crow, all right. One of those ravens, you know, a nasty yeah. raven. Um, yeah, yeah. Poking the eyes out of dead calves. So who um, is this fund? Who is this fund and what, what are they doing in Ireland and, and why are you such a threat to them? Yeah, so Heinz are a 161 billion international uh, global real estate fund who have property all over the world. They consider themselves one of the, the big global real estate funds. They are one of them. Um, but they have come into Ireland since the crash, as we talked about the last day. One of these funds, mm-hmm. they bought up land. Uh, they've bought up um, and, and they've developed some units. They're now developing what are called, which have actually been banned in Ireland, but they're the co-living developments. Yes. They're developing a massive... A, t- a tenement, a modern-day tenement. A, absolutely, a modern-day yeah. tenement. But they're, they've just put in a proposal for a 1,600 apartments, 1,600 in Drumcondra, and not one of them will be available for sale. Yeah. 70% of them will either be uh, studio or one-bed apartments. And I tweeted out saying, you know, this is the dystopian future that we face. You know, generation rent won't be able to buy mm-hmm. a home. They won't be able to live in a decent standard home. And this is what vulture funds like Heinz are doing. And subsequent uh, to that, about a week or two later, I got an email from Heinz saying that I was essentially libeling them by calling them a vulture fund. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was a bit kind of shocked by that and a bit taken aback. And I was like, is this serious? And I went, uh, my immediate reaction was to delete the tweet, yeah. and which I did, because I was like thinking my kids, thinking about, you know, I can't go take on a vulture fund. I don't have mm-hmm. the money or resources to do that. I, um. And looking back in it now, I'm thinking, oh, maybe I should have left it there. And the point, I think, as well, though, is that they are, as I said, developing these built-to-rent apartments, you know, huge expense. As I said, they're not homes for people. And I think we've a right to challenge that and question that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what was shocking for me that a, a multi-billion investor fund would individually target, <laughs> you know, an academic who's, you know, making a bit of noise on Twitter doing your job your job is social policy your job is to investigate and critique exactly this but i was just kind of going they must be rattled they must feel yeah there's there's a tide turning in this country and i think there is that people are going hang on a minute this is not the future we want these Mm -hmm. are not the homes we want like there's another development i was looking at on on griffith avenue um u.s property giant graystar have bought 385 apartments which are being built. Um, 385, all again, all built to rent. Not one of them will be for sale. Do you know what the one-bed apartment is going to be rented out at? Go on. 1,900. 
for a one bed apartment. Yeah. yeah. Like it's absurd. It's 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 obscene. It's absolutely obscene. And this is our future. This is your future. But, but unless the thing we is, do something about it. Like who's even renting those? I mean, are I, I heard so I don't know whether this is true or not now, but I heard that a lot of these really expensive renting properties in Dublin are actually rented out by the multinational headquarters of tech companies that are in Dublin because these are the people who can afford them. Yeah, the, I think that's happening. And what is also happening is they're leaving them vacant. Yes. We know that there's one development. Um, and you can in, see that. You go around Grand Canal Dock and think, you know yeah. well there's apartments. There's no one living in there. No. And, and that's what they do. And so this argument by certain economists that, oh, we need these build-to-rent developments because they'll, you know, add a supply which will at some point magically bring down rents when going, no, that doesn't work because these guys can allow the properties lie vacant because they don't want to have to rent them out at lower rents, which mm-hmm. would reduce the rents. So that's what they can do because they're And assets. it's a form of hoarding, essentially. Absolutely. These are commodities to them. And this is what the importance of the Berlin referendum is. It's challenging the idea, and not just the idea, but this wave of investment funds that are that want property homes to be a commodity. That's what they want. Mm-hmm. And this and where it ends up is where it, Berlin is about 15, 10, 15 years ahead of us, where they've reached this point where people can't get any affordable homes because the investment funds have essentially taken over the entire market. Yeah, that's that's where we're heading to in Ireland. But we can learn from them and stop stop it now. And so, as you said there, Rory, that they used tenants unions were a part of it. So just for people in Ireland to wonder, right, how do we do this? How do we have a referendum where we basically make what is it to make housing a, a right in Ireland to make a home a right a part of the constitution and also to not be exploited by investment funds um would you recommend people join in like a, a union like Catu? yeah absolutely i think Catu is it's a new tenant community trade union been set up here um community sorry uh, tenants union should i say sorry um, community action tenants union yeah yes exactly and they are you know renters community, local community activists who are trying to support people who are being evicted. They're, I think that's the thing. That's what, If we learn from Berlin, tenants got organized, they campaigned, they made noise about it. And if we think about it, kind of, that's what was happening before COVID in Ireland. We had yeah. the Take Back the City movement, yes. occupying the Mountjoy Square. Yes. We had big housing protests. We had you know protests against evictions of people. That movement was growing. The election in 2020, very clearly, if you look at the polls, show young people voted on housing. And I think that I was looking at the figures there. When you look for hope, um, the the amount of people renting, there's about three quarters of a million people now renting in Ireland. That's a lot of people, right? So now lots of them are children. There's also, as I've given, I think I gave this figure the last day, 450,000 adults living at home with their parents. Wow. Like, that's a shocking number. But then I looked, how many that's, votes that's would you five say? Galways. Five Galways. How many votes did Fianna Fáil get in the last election? They got 480,000. There's more renters than yeah. votes Fianna Fáil got in the last election. So my thing is, like, why don't renters and the generation locked out go register to vote and start creating themselves as a political block, a voting block, so when the next election comes... <laughs> there's more people who are either renters 
or who are living at home with their parents because they can't afford a home than who voted for this government. So mm -hmm. they could be a real influencer. And I was thinking, um, I think the referendum on the right to housing is fundamental because I think that can unlock so much. H how do we get that? How, how do you go to someone like Michal Martin or Leo Radker and go, lads, we want a referendum on housing? Because I'd imagine parties like Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil are going to have huge resistance to something like that. We have to, people have to do what marriage equality and repeal did. The people essentially create the public pressure that makes it so that politicians have to do it. So mm -hmm. it becomes that when every person they talk to, every person they hear from is saying, why haven't you, why haven't you held that referendum yet? What's the story mm -hmm. with the right to housing referendum? It seems a bit mad that you haven't done that. Mm -hmm. And they're actually, the mad thing is they committed to it. The program from government has a commitment to a referendum on housing. The new housing for all plan has a commitment to referendum on housing. So I think, I was thinking a little exercise your listeners might do if you're up for it, if they're up for it is why not write to their local TD, write to their Taoiseach, send them an email. I was thinking they could uh, put a headline like, um, put something like, where are our homes? We want to stay and live here and not to be forced to emigrate. Mm -hmm. The housing crisis is a crisis of our generation, our present and our future. Why can't renters and those adults stuck at home have a forever home of their own? Mm -hmm. Our housing is surely more important than investors in the market. So... Will you hold the referendum you promised to insert the right to housing in our constitution? We believe this is essential to enact laws to make housing a home for all. Will you freeze rents and ban evictions from the private rental sector for five years to give us a bit of breathing space to live for a few years? If not, why not? There are almost a million of us. We're going to be deciding how we will vote in 2024 on the basis of housing. But why so if they put this in, this this new housing for all plan, right, that the government came out with, like, what are they just procrastinating on the referendum thing then? What, what do they want? Do they want to knock it on to the next government? What's the deal? Yeah, I think they do. Like, it looks like lip service, like that, that yeah. entire, because I read your critique of the housing for all plan and your... Your overall critique is that this this is this is for this benefits investors. It doesn't benefit people who want to own a home. Yeah, or, or rent an affordable one or a secure yeah. one. Yeah, when I went through the housing for all plan, which was the government's latest plan, I, I was actually disappointed, and maybe I was naive to think expect anything different. But I did actually expect something different because they clearly realize that there is a massive crisis out there. But what they don't seem to be prepared to do is tackle the big interests. Like, are our government afraid of investment funds? I think are, they are. Are, do, are our government coerced by investment funds or are scared to annoy them? Like, what's going on? Like, what, why, why are the, what, like, investment funds don't even create jobs. Like, it's not like they, they're saying, oh, no, it's some tech company that wants a headquarters and it's going to create jobs. The investment funds don't even create jobs. Why are they licking their arses? Because... Essentially, the state stopped building housing in this country. We used to build council housing. We used yeah. to build affordable housing. And they essentially handed housing over to the market. And they then handed it over to investment funds. So the, in the government's head, the only way they're going to get a supply of housing is if they entice the investment funds. So it's like they've hitched their wagon to them. So... On the one hand, because they're not willing, and I think it's ideological, and we've talked about this the last time. Yeah. They're not willing for the state to go out and build. 
build affordable housing because they're scared shitless that if they did build affordable housing on scale, affordable rental, affordable purchase, that if the state went and built this on a massive scale, which they could do, they could borrow and do it, that it would lead to rents falling, it would lead to house prices falling, and their whole system, the banks, the uh, the idea that they think the people who vote for them, who have the property, that they will, it'll all just fall apart for them. They're yeah. not willing to really just go, do you know what? This housing system is broken and yeah. we need to do it differently. And so fundamentally what you have a problem, you have a problem whereby our government's ideology is to view people as commodities and that, uh, 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 that a human being simply to live, that that is something that should be profited off. Yeah. And I think they don't understand the importance of housing in people's lives. I think they need to go back and read Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. you know. At the very bottom, the most fundamental requirement is shelter. Yeah. And if you add to that, I was actually looking at it today, teaching my students uh, in social policy today about it. And I, and I went through each of the layers of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And you can go each, through each one. Self-esteem, sense of belonging, safety, housing impacts on all of them. People don't feel, people are feel insecure in their selves, in their minds, in their bodies, because they don't know, are they going to be living this home in yeah. a month, in two months' time, in three months' time? And I think what's happened is government and politicians have have no sense of that. They have no sense that actually they just, I think they live in a bubble. They live in a world where people buy their home, can afford it. No concept of people renting, what it means, the insecurity of it, the impact on it. And I think that what we need to relearn and understand is if you don't have a home, you have nothing. That yeah. is so absolutely fundamental. You can't to- <clears throat> can't meet your other needs. You don't. Sure, look, I don't. I, I don't have to look very far. Like people I know, they're not pursuing their passions. They're not pursuing their hobbies because to do so would mean free time, and that free time is taken up by a second job or taken up work, trying to pay that rent. They're not thinking about retirement. They're not thinking about anything like that. Some people aren't even thinking about children because they can't afford them. Yeah. And then the most viable option is I either do this just to pay the rent because I'm certainly not not going to save for a mortgage or I emigrate. Like one thing that saddened me a bit today when I saw this Berlin news was lots of people were very inspired by it. And then other people were like, brilliant, better emigrate to Berlin. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? As the first response, better emigrate yeah. to Berlin. And that is one of the saddest things. And it's that, very that, Irish. It is It is very Irish. And historically, that's what we've done. We've left the country rather than changing it. I appeal to people, stay and change this country. You know, we can. Yeah. We can do it because, my God, there's such tragedy in emigration. There yeah. is such sadness in it. And I know my brother lives in Australia I think of my children, you know, having to leave this country because they can't get an affordable home. I'm messaged every day by people saying, I'm not living in Dublin anymore. I can't live here. People yeah. who I work with around, you know, different people doing amazing work, mm-hmm. amazing things. Artists can't stay here anymore. As soon as, you know, in the next couple of months, I'm gone. I'm out of here. And one of the sad things as well about emigration, Rory, again, from my personal experience. So, like... I would have gotten in. I I came into adulthood uh, around the last recession, which meant that 
about 50% of the people I would have grown up with are gone, like they've left the country. And a very sad thing I started to notice when I was about 28 or 29 is every year at Christmas or every two years, your buddies come back from Australia or from America or Canada. And a sad thing happens whereby in order for them to move and to establish themselves in a new community and new friends, new workplace in Australia or whatever, they lose a part of the personality they had at home until eventually some of your friends, you meet them and they're just not that person anymore that you knew. Yeah. The environment they've inserted themselves into is so different. They're happy. They're incredibly happy and they're down in Australia. But it's like, that's not my pal anymore. He's they saying change, good day. You know? They change. You know, they, they go change. through their life. They have their kids there. They but have then I have grief. I have a strange grief then because it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm grieving because this person is now a new person and I don't know. I'm not relating to them the way I used to. And that's really sad. So I'm grieving for the person that was there. And it's very strange. It is strange. And it is, you're right, it's sad. And it is a grief. It is a loss mm -hmm. of that person that you knew. It's a, a loss of the relationships. It's a loss of, you know, people's children, their sons, their daughters, their grandchildren. They don't get to see them. And it frightens me when I look back at the crash and the recession. I was always struck by Michael Noonan when he said about, you know, oh my, I think he talked about his children emigrating as well and sure they can go off and do whatever. And I went, that lad is very fucking disconnected. Mm -hmm. If he can just say, you know, ah, it's, you know, people, young people can go away and you just go, there's a lot of pain and suffering. And the problem is, and it, you know, fair play to you in term, you know, you highlight mental health. You talk about emotions openly. You talk about grief. I think part of the problem in this country is we haven't done that. And so yeah. therefore we accept things. We accept that cost of generate of emigration. We accept the loss. And I my hope is that we have a generation now who won't just shut off from that pain and hopefully they've told their parents I'm not you know and their parents aren't as closed as they used to be and they go why should we put ourselves through all this suffering? For yeah. fucking investment funds. There's that developers. The yeah. Why should, like, why should Jesus they dictate? Christ. Why should they dictate our country? And how it's a, how a it's faceless pile of cash. Like an investment fund is a faceless pile of cash. That's all it is. It's a lump of money. But why are we like why just like there's so much we could do. There's so much that could be done right now. And you know, I talked about it the last day. Like we have Massive land banks, you know, owned by local authorities. They could be building on it. We have money we could borrow to build. You know, we have NAMA sitting there with land. We could put a vacant tax in place. We could set cooper up cooperatives and they could build and engage communities in it. There's loads that could be done. And yet it is, I think, that that um, conservatism, the, the worship of the market, the, they've been captured by investors. They're not willing to throw it all up It has to be fear as well, Rory. It's, it is it's, fear. They're, it they're is, simply I, afraid. I don't are. want it. What your prop with, if I was, uh, I imagine they're thinking what you're proposing is too radical, Rory. And I, if I, I can't take that risk in case it fails and then me and my party is fucked. And I would say the risk that they are, playing the game they're playing now 
is that they are robbing another generation of its future. And that is what's happening, that they are removing the possibility from a future generation and generation after that of having affordable homes. Unless, of course, we go in 10 years time and have a referendum to buy back all the houses like they've done in Berlin off the investment funds. But we can avoid that. We don't have to go there. We still we can still turn this around. Um, One thing I want to chat to you about, Rory, right before before uh, we go, CETA, C-E-T-A is a possible threat to us standing up to investment funds. Is that correct? And can you explain it a bit? Yeah, so CETA is the the um, EU-Canada Comprehensive Economic and Trade Agreement. Some people might have heard of it, some people mightn't. But actually, there's a lot of people who've been quite animated about it. And like, we had one before. What Was it NAFTA? What was the one there? That, yes. And the, Trump didn't sign up. Ironically, Donald Trump was the one who saved the world from it. <laughs> The North American Free Trade Agreement. Actually, no, I'm wrong. I'm talking about the TTIP, which was similar. What it does is it, it allows corporations to sue countries. Yeah. And, and these whole free trade agreements, you know, they go back 20, 30 years. They're about essentially removing what they call the barriers of trade between co- yeah. countries. But when you look at the fine detail of the, of the, um, the agreements... What they're actually about is corporations trying to access markets in different countries and in particular access things like health services, access housing. And what often you see in these free trade agreements is that things like workers protections or things like investment in public services are considered by the corporations as a threat to their investments. And therefore, exactly as you said, if, for example, a country like Ireland in this case of the uh, the CETA trade agreement, decides that we want to do what Berlin is doing and buy back uh, or expropriate or take off units um, off a real estate investment trust, or we want to put a rent freeze in place, or we want to put a five-year ban on evictions in place, that mm-hmm. the real estate fund, investment fund, could take Ireland to what's set up as part of these agreements, which are really, is called an investor court system. Yeah. It's it's a place where the companies can take a country to court. And it happened in, in 2006, uh, the huge tobacco company, Philip Morris, sued uh, Uruguay because they brought in anti-smoking laws. And I think that that's a really good example of where this goes to and it is very mm-hmm. worrying and because then if we're talking now about like you and I are saying Jesus wouldn't be great if we got a referendum like Berlin but as I understand it if CETA gets passed then if the Irish people were to have a referendum and to say we want rent controls or we don't want vulture funds then those same investment funds would be it would be okay for them to try and sue Ireland exactly yeah like it you, seems you utter madness that is madness. What? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? It's like, it seems like going, why would you do that? And another thing about these things, Rory, I mentioned earlier the TTIP, Transatlantic Trade Investment Partnership. Now, that one never went ahead because of Trump, thankfully. But someone who was hugely critical of it was the MEP, Luke Ming Flanagan. Um, not an MEP. That's, yeah, MEP. Luke's an MEP, isn't he? He is indeed, yep. And he was, so he was in the European Parliament and he was critical of the TTIP. 
So he, as an MEP, was like, all right, I want to see. Let me at least see the agreement before it passes because I have a responsibility to my constituents. And it was impossible for him to actually read it. He had to be put into a private room. He wasn't allowed to take photocopies. He was permitted to bring in a pencil and a paper and that was it. So in order for him to correctly scrutinize this massive document that had to do with legislation around the environment, around food, they'd basically made it incredibly restrictive for an MEP to critique it and go back to his constituents and say, this might be a bad thing. Yeah. And that's the... it's. It's a uh, it's a reduction in our democracy. Like it's it's an attack on our democracy, and it has a particular relevance to Ireland because this one is the EU Canada trade agreement. Mm-hmm. And, and why this is really relevant is because our largest private landlord now yes. is called the Irish Real Estate Investment Trust, called mm-hmm. IRES. They own about four thousand units in Ireland now. They're only set up since um, 2014. Who owns them <laughs> is a Canadian real yeah. estate investment trust called yeah. Caprit. So you could absolutely see this directly if we decided we're going to put a, a rent freeze, not just a rent cap, or as I said, this ban on evictions. IRES REIT, because they're owned by a Canadian company, could say, well, actually, we're you know, this interferes with our ability to deliver our services here. So we want to take Ireland to the investor <laughs> investor court and Ireland could be found against. Like, it's absolutely ludicrous. Mm-hmm. And didn't Justin Trudeau, the leader of Canada, recently try and say that he doesn't want investment funds in, in Canada? Yeah, which is really interesting. And then I think it's, it's to me, that's a, a, a sign that I think the tide is turning. That governments are realizing, because they've left it go so far, that these investment funds are taking over housing, making it unaffordable, locking people out of homes. He felt the pressure because he they just had a, a, a national election in Canada and he was losing in the election and he was really worried about getting reelected. And he came out literally days before the election was due to be held. And he said, I'm going to stop. Uh, he's going to put in place a two year ban on foreign purchase of property in Canada because yeah. they are having a similar housing crisis than we're having because they also have investment funds playing a huge role in their housing system as well. And I think, you know, if we look at it, Canada's talking about doing it. You know, New Zealand has a ban in place on foreign purchase of property. You know, why don't we do it here? Why are we doing the complete opposite here? But what then stops an investment fund just starting up an Irish shell company? And it's like, all right, you can't have foreign investment. Uh, our new name is is uh, Paddy Vulture. <laughs> Absolutely, it could. And that's where, yeah. you know, you're right to make that point. It shouldn't just be the foreign investment funds. It should be actually a ban on investment funds purchasing homes. And in particular, something that we looked for earlier this year was the for example the this the banning or the stopping of the this build to rent phenomenon where yeah. everything is for rent and there's nothing to buy for a home um and and the government didn't do that they didn't put in place they put in place a stamp duty measure that really makes no impact but they should put in place some mechanism where a certain percentage of homes in every development have to be available for people who want to buy a home and I think that's the sort of measures that could make housing affordable in this country, you know, and that's what we need. Like, what are we doing? Why 
Why are we allowing ourselves go down this dystopian path of locking our future generations, of locking people into housing stress, the mental health? I, I think the reason is, Rory, I think it's just because most people on the street don't really know. This stuff is is deliberately complicated. It's deliberately inaccessible. I think the fact that the investment fund that wanted to take legal action against you because you called it a vulture fund, that exposes it right there. What does the word vulture fund do? It takes a concept which is very deliberately obfuscate and exclusionary and complicated. It takes this concept and now all of a sudden it makes it very understandable and very accessible to everybody. People think vultures. Vultures? That's who's going to circle my corpse when I'm dead. Vultures? Them big, lanky, smelly cunts on nature documentaries with their long, bloody necks shoved into the rectum of a springbok. Now I'm cautious. I don't like the sound of these vulture funds. I can understand this. It's like, if you think back to the time of the Protestant Reformation, when the Protestant Reformation happened and Martin Luther was like, I'm starting this new thing. I don't like the Catholic Church. One of the things Martin Luther said was, I think the Bible should be available to people in the language that they speak, not just Latin. And the Catholic Church went apeshit. <laughs> you can't tell them what's actually in it. Yeah. No, then we lose power. So I always take it back to, to Althusser and the ideological state apparatus, which is to maintaining power by not democratizing information. So... The average person on the street, if you say investment fund, these huge investments, they, they don't really, it's it's a lot of information. But then you say vulture fund and you start to think, those horrible birds that hang around death. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, it's I the think democratization of information. No, I think you're absolutely right. And that's what I'm trying to do in, in all the stuff I'm writing at the moment and trying to put out there is to communicate this stuff in language and ideas and stories and, and ways that people can understand. Because housing in particular is often just talked about in statistics, you know, in units. It's complicated. And you're absolutely right. There's no effort made for people to actually explain it because they don't want them to understand it. They don't want yeah. them to understand that there's an alternative way of doing it. And, and it's really important, I think, as well, that it's not just about the investment funds. It's also about our government and what our government could be doing, and our state and our local authorities, it could be building homes. It could be doing that. Like, we did it in the past. I think that's the other powerful... But I then when you say to one... If, if you say to, to either someone from Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, and you say to them, build homes, what they always turn around with is, we've done that in the past and you've seen the huge problems it created. We, we, we had to knock the Ballymun Towers, is what they'll say. It didn't work. It failed. And what I would say is that just because, uh, well, first of all, it didn't fail. There was loads of examples up mm -hmm. and down this country of council estates that people mm -hmm. that functioned absolutely, you know, in ideal ways. People grew up in them. People were proud of them. People grew up in Ballymun, absolutely proud. If you go up mm -hmm. and actually talk to them and learn about the history, there was a massive community there. Absolutely massive. It wasn't the social, the building of social housing that led to the problems in Ballymun. Mm -hmm. It was inequalities. It was the drugs epidemic. 
It was, you know, exclusion. It wasn't the fact that they were living in social housing caused Mm -hmm. the problem. And that, again, is, you know, that's about ideology because it goes back to, again, what was Margaret Thatcher about? What is neoliberalism about? Is about undermining the social, about undermining the collective. And it was all about the individual. How do we Mm -hmm. marketize, privatize everything? And so they went after social housing ideologically. They didn't want Mm -hmm. it. They didn't want the state to be doing it. And if you look at it, so even the stories they create about Ballymun, this idea that Ballymun was a failure, Ballymun wasn't a failure. Ballymun provided generations of people with good quality homes. What happens is, what happened was the Irish state stopped maintaining the housing. They stopped putting money into social housing. In the mm-hmm. 1980s and 1990s, I remember I visited those estates in the 1990s. I saw them. I went, I walked around them. And I could see the deprivation, but what I could really see was the physical deprivation. And that means the buildings that had been let run down mm-hmm. by the council, because at that same time, they were moving to the market ideology. The yeah. Irish state decided at that point, we no longer want to do social housing. So if you don't want to do social housing anymore, of course, it's going to fail. Of course, it's not going to work. Yeah. You look at Austria. You look at Vienna and lots of people have probably seen that video circulating of the beautiful apartments, public housing with lovely plants lying, you know, going down at these green apartments with swimming pools in their complexes with community spaces. That's what you can do if your government wants to do it. Who wants to do it and is willing to do it and is not going to neglect it and then. Yeah, it's like they they neglected it and but then you and then blame it on the people. Exactly. Which I always, I associate that with with Reaganism and Thatcherism, which is to demonize a class of people and say that the poverty that you are in or deprivation that you're in, that is your fault. That's a moral failing. You're not working hard enough. You don't get up in the morning and work, as Fine Gael like to say. Exactly. And and the thing in reality is now the people who who are getting up to work are getting up and waking up in homeless hostels and going to work. Or Or paying rent to a vulture fund. Or paying rent to a vulture fund or living in a shed. And I think that the change that's needed is we have to go that the state builds housing, not just social housing, but it does build affordable housing for people to buy. It builds affordable housing, this idea of the cost rental, which we talked about the last time as well, which is like they do in Vienna and Austria, rental housing that's secure, that's affordable, that's available for anyone. And we've, when we look at Berlin and what they're doing, essentially that's what they're doing. They're going to buy those units back off the corporates, landlords, and rent them out to people on any income. And that's what we should be doing here. Mm-hmm. And you go, we look like we deliver health. Like we give people health care, not on the basis of whether they can afford to buy it or not. People don't rock up. We're not like America, where if you fall out of the, if you get knocked down, the ambulance turns up and goes, have you got health insurance or yeah, not? Yeah, and people don't ring the ambulance in America. They don't. Because, because calling the ambulance is 10 grand in America. You can turn up to an A&E here and you will get, with delays, but you will get a a, a service. And, and as well, like, the maternity system isn't perfect, but if someone has a child in this country, they, they, compared to other places, you're not, it's, it's paid for by the state. Absolutely. It's pretty much 100%, you know, public. There is a certain amount of private there, but, you know, everybody can access maternity care. Yeah. Our education system is the same. Primary school education. Everybody gets access to it. Everybody gets yeah. access to secondary education. Health, education, absolutely fundamental. But housing is even more fundamental, as we talked yeah. earlier. 
What, what good what good is a free education to a child if that child then has to return to a hotel to live in where they can't even do their study or have a quality of life? Exactly. Like, what? how can a child avail of that education? How can they study? How can they study for a leave insert mm-hmm. in, a, in a hotel room or in a, in a family hub? And even more so, I have students who are saying that they are worried about doing their final year thesis because they don't know yeah. if they're going to be evicted by the landlord midway through yeah. doing their thesis. You know, you have people, hundreds of thousands of children, hundreds of thousands of children live with their families in the private rental sector. Their families live in a state of not knowing, can, is the child going to be still here in two two months' time, three months' time, six months' time? There's no stability. They can't create community. Yeah. They can't have security. Do, do you feel, Rory, that this, this plan, that they, the Houses for All plan, I just get the feeling if I challenge, if I was to challenge uh, a politician who came to my door and say, I'm worried about this, I'm worried. Like I saw a photograph last week that broke my heart of a girl of about seven. It was just the back of her head, but she was seven years of age eating soup outside the GPO that was yeah. being provide for, pro- provided for her by, by a charity. And if I say this to a politician, they'll just go, no, we've got this wonderful plan now called ho- Homes for All or Houses for All. Yeah. And, and that's what they'll say. Like... I needed to read your assessment of it in order for me to go, right, well, no, Rory knows his shit and he's saying that this thing doesn't work. But if I wasn't fully informed around that area, I might look at that plan and go, that seems all right. Seems like they, they're doing something about this. Wow. But they're not. This, it's, it's tinkering on the edges. And that's what people need to understand. This is only tinkering. It's not making an overhaul. And, I, and the, the example of the rents is a really good example. They stood up at the launch of that document and said, oh, we have a rent freeze in place now. Rents are frozen. And then it comes, turns out that what they did was they linked rents to inflation, which is now at 3%, pretty yeah. much close to the 4%, which was the cap there. There's no rent freeze in place. There's mm-hmm. a very simple example. Another one is the security for tenants. Where is the security of tenants? Where is the security for tenants? There's none. There's talk about doing it at some point in the future. Where is the right to housing referendum? You know, where has it actually been held? Where are the 15,000, you know, affordable homes that should be built by the state every year? They're not there. So there are four really quick examples. There's no vacancy. And it's it's one one thing there, Rory, just one thing I, whenever, so whenever I'm wary of, we'll say, uh, government promises, the one thing I always bring myself back to and how clever they are about it is in about 2017, uh, I, uh, the government said, we're going to plant one million trees for the environment. And I saw the headline and went, wow, that looks brilliant. Isn't that amazing that our government is going to plant one million trees? And I felt really good. And then someone critiqued it and says, they are planting one million trees, but those trees are actually for the logging industry. So they're actually going to hurt the environment because they're not native trees and they're just for logging. But technically, the government's not lying. It's like, yeah, they are planting one million trees. But then you go beyond it and it's like, you snaky boys. <laughs> snaky. But th- th- this, snaky th- boys. Th- the homes it- for all plan, sound. it sounds like that. At first glance, it's enough to satiate the average person to think, oh, good. Because I, well, I, think, I think people we don't want to be worrying about this shit. Though. I want to look at Netflix. Like, I want to look at Netflix and get on with my life. I don't want to be stressed out about the government plan. I want them to be looking after this shit. If they give me a, a, 
say, here's a new document called House, Homes for All. I want, uh, most people just want to go, brilliant, great, the adults have it sorted, what's on Netflix? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, what Instead of having to go, what are they really saying? Yeah. What's actually here when you investigate this? Yeah. And, and I think what people have to realise is that, unfortunately, the adults at the moment don't have your best interests at heart. No. And you have to, unfortunately, get off the couch. And if you want it to be different, you have to do something yourself. Yeah. And that's Which where... Which is a kick in the balls. It is. Are you saying... They need a kick in the balls. Or <laughs> no, but it's just, again, it, it's, oh, it's a kick the in the point balls. of a government is that it, the, the, the average citizen wants to go, can, can I worry about my life? Yeah. Because I want to believe that you're in power and we voted you in. You have this shit sorted. No one wants to go to sleep at night thinking, oh, my God, those people that are in power are actually acting against my interests. Yeah. Fuck. I, it's a lot of stress. It is a lot of stress. But then when you look at the stress people are in already. Over the rents, yeah. You know, over their future, as you talked about, like people putting off having kids. Like I can't think of anything more horrific, you know, than that. And th- th- their life choice that then it happens. You know, they put it off, they put it off, and the life choice is then essentially taken away from them by a lack of affordable housing. Like I yeah. just go, like this is just this is stealing people's lives from them and. You know, we need to talk about this. And that's why when, when people say, I just, you know, housing for all sounds great. Unfortunately, it's not. And that's why it's so important that we can have this conversation, that you have me on to have this conversation. And I think I feel it's a bit of the impact I'm having in, in trying to actually say, because people will go, oh, my God, how are we back here again? How are we back here with house prices through the roof again? You know, we're still in this crisis you know, a decade down, like in 10 years time, there is absolutely no reason why we wouldn't still be in the midst of a housing crisis if nothing mm-hmm. is done. Mm-hmm. And so that's and why a, we, a worse one and a worse one. So we do have to learn. We, well, it is worse, Rory, because I tell you what, five years ago, people were worried about not being able to get a home because the houses were too expensive. Now they're worried about not being able to get a home because the, ha- the houses are too expensive because they're being bought by investment funds. Yeah, that's it, a different one. Like when when you're competing with someone, a human being who's wealthier than you. At least you can put a picture on that. But when when you're when you're competing against a giant investment fund, now there's a futility to it. Then you give up. There is. And I really hope people don't give up because, yeah. you know, this is the future of our country. It, housing is the biggest social issue that is going to determine how this country develops. In the coming and it's decade. not just Ireland. This is this is a global thing. It, These it, investment it, funds are are doing this in in all in in every country I can see. I mean, where is it not happening? Yeah, and that's does it happen it, in China? It, yeah, obviously we're seeing a crash happening there with their with their big oh, yeah. state firm, um, Evergrande. But it it is happening across the world. That, and I said these are global funds. This is their strategy. And if we if people don't wake up and step up. And try and do something. And people are suffering. I know they are. As I said, I talk to them every day. People are been demoralized, been beaten down by the housing crisis. But I think there is what Berlin showed was that there is a possibility in people coming together and making that change. That simple idea of people power. And I always think of Nelson Mandela's famous phrase when he said, it seems impossible until it's done. And for mm-hmm. people, I think that's part of it. It seems impossible now, but it will be unless 
people do it and they can do it. And I think the and Berlin is that little beacon of hope. That's what I love about the Berlin thing is like, th- there it is being done. There it is being done. So it's, what did they do? So before we sign off, Rory, um, so w- one thing you said is that first of all, people should become informed uh, and write to their TDs. Secondly, uh, it's a good idea to join a, a union, like a tenants union, so that we can organize. So you've actually got a collective together to demand a referendum. Then wh- wh- one last thing. How do we how do we stop CETA happening? I, I think that, again, we have to put the pressure on in that people have to take action in the way that they can. If we look at how, for example, the students, you know, the students were protesting this week outside the doll. They raised their voice about... And was this because, like, for, for so for the first time in my memory, we're seeing a situation where students in, in Cork, Galway and, and Limerick and Dublin can't get anywhere to live there and and i'm also seeing for the first time ever i'm seeing hotels offering long-term student rates which is really fucked up and i knew this was a bit of an issue but i've never seen it this big so students around ireland now they don't have accommodation it doesn't exist no and it, it actually connects directly to our conversation because investment funds like heinz and others have built thousands of student accommodation over the last couple of years. But what they did was they have now started letting it out to tourists. Oh, for fuck's sake. It's just like, it's, and it just shows... As short-term lettings, like as Airbnbs or something? As Airbnbs. And they applied to (laughs) the local authorities. So the fucking investment funds are working with Airbnb? Yep. They are letting it out as short-term tourist lets. And they worst the planning permission, they were given planning permission to do it. They applied for a change of use. And people were highlighting this, and I was highlighting this, and you're going, around a thousand units that could have students in them appear to now have tourists in them. And you're going, at like this is just but it shows But at what point does it implode? Because why would a tourist want to come to Galway and just look at a bunch of angry students? <laughs> Well, when the, when the uh, investment fund has emptied out the block of uh, any students and it's all just other tourists, that's how they how they do it. But it shows that these... Well, if there's one thing tourists don't like, it's other tourists. <laughs> well, tourists, these... <laughs> tourists hate going somewhere and then seeing a bunch of other tourists and then they go on to TripAdvisor and complain about all the tourists <laughs> while being a tourist. I don't think the investment funds cl- c- uh, care at all about the complaints. I think they just care about getting them in. And... Uh, and when tourists look at Galway and the prices of everywhere, they'll, they'll probably very happily take up some of these. But to me, it shows these investment funds, they're not here to provide housing, affordable housing. It's for them. It's a commodity and they will turn it into whatever will make the money for them. And that is the, the real danger of it. And you asked about CETA. For me, CETA, it's the same as the housing thing. People need to become active citizens. Like we get the country to a certain extent we get the country we get because we let people the politicians and government away with it and historically that's what we've done in this country but my real hope is that this generation they achieved marriage equality they achieved repeal they are a generation that's like doesn't take any bullshit they're open they're hopeful and they're the ones who will actually break the fucking historical conservatism in this country and say you know what? We want to stay here. We're not just going to be kicked out and emigrated because of failure of our politicians and government. We're going to stay and change it. And housing is fundamental for us. 
So we want that referendum and we're going to talk about it to everybody and we're going to demand it and we're going to email our politicians and we're going to make noise about it and we're going to trend it on Twitter and we're going to make... And protest. And Fucking protest. good old pro... Because the one thing I've been thinking about there recently is COVID has given governments around the world a bit of a fucking upper hand there because no one could protest no one could really get out there and protest it wasn't legal yeah it, it's true covid absolutely you know left people very disempowered in how they could engage and understand and distracted and it's fucking distracted it's a, it was a bloody pandemic like a global pandemic which we're yeah. still you know, reeling from. And that's the other thing. People are still reeling from that, you know, and, and the housing thing, it's sort of there, but people are still in the post-COVID sense of, you know, people are feeling isolated. You know, how do you link up with people when you just have this, you know, anxiety about going out in the world, when people are still trying to protect each other, when people mm-hmm. are still, you know, you know, in, unemployed, when people, are, you know, there's there's a huge COVID recovery needed and I think the housing thing will fit in there. And I think it's how we how we as a society come together again and how we as and I think particularly the generation rent and generation locked out, like they understand what it means to value people and they put people first. And I think that's the biggest challenge that the government doesn't get. The biggest challenge to them, the biggest thing is that this generation doesn't give a shit about investment funds or assets or commodities. They don't want to buy a property or two properties or three properties to rent them out as a home. What this generation wants is they just want a home and they that's want a good to be point. able to live. Because that's the thing. One thing I'll say about uh, about younger people is like I would have grown up. So I, w- I would have grown up like I saw the Celtic Tiger when I was a child. So I would have grown up with the idea that it's okay. You want to own a house. And then also, if you get a second one to rent it, that's okay too. That were Those were the values that I would have seen around me in the Celtic Tiger. But then people now who are in their early 20s, I, I, don't, I, think, I don't even think they want to own a home. I think e- even just to rent, like you had in Berlin for years, just simply don't exploit me. Yeah. and, and I, think I just want somewhere to live. So, yeah. so, so I, I want my home to be a given. And then I can focus on the things I'm passionate about. Whether I own it or not, I don't really give a shit. So long as I'm not being exploited. Exactly. And that I have that sense of security. Because that's what Berlin was famous for. It's like, And Germany in general with all the people renting. Because I remember being younger, I always used to say to myself, fuck me, those people in Germany renting. Are they not scared? Are they not afraid? And it's like, no, they're not. They, they know that... There's always going to be affordable places to live. So what's the point in owning something? Who wants that hassle? And that's the problem with our rental sector here. People don't have that security. And the government could change that overnight. They did during COVID. They put in place Mm -hmm. a ban on evictions. They froze rents. I go, why don't you do do that for five years? Give people a bit of breathing space. And if you look at the ideology, the ideology is, well, we wouldn't want people getting lazy now. And we wouldn't but want. That's to what it is. We wouldn't <laughs> want people getting lazy. And we oh, wouldn't no, want to upset the landlords. Yeah, and we wouldn't want to upset the investors. And we wouldn't want to upset who else? Are we oh, the banks. That's who we don't want to upset. But absolutely, they they have a belief, and and there's that bullshit out there about the snowflake generation, and that you know, oh, they're just you know, they're more concerned with what? Yeah, they're more. That's concerned a harsh. With their, that's an easy way to get out of an argument. That's all is. that is. But I think yeah. there's. I think that's there as well. 
there's that idea that um you know we worked hard to buy our house and buy our two houses and our three houses and why the hell can't you and you're going uh because you fucking bought them and now you're renting and, them and because and all those all those those people who would have been buying property during the Celtic Tiger they would have been insufferable cunts if they had social media <laughs> like that's the whole thing snowflake generation it's like no the first generation whereby if you want to complain about what's bothering you you can actually publish it widely but, but if if imagine the state of twitter in the celtic tiger but you know what the snowflake Jesus generation is it's the first generation that's properly in touch with its own emotions that can yeah. actually express its feelings that can express yeah. itself and where uh, mental health isn't stigmatized exactly and that was the whole thing about and that's why this i i have such faith in the generation that's coming that they that it's the value shift i really believe that it's it's like um this idea of you know what's the common sense in society the common sense in government's head in the minister's head in is that like oh people want to buy a property and you know they'll get on this property ladder and then they might buy another one and the people who want that will put in the effort to save it and they can get that we'll help them out a bit and they'll get there the rest of them are sure if they're renting they're renting they clearly aren't bothered about it and they go the value shift that's changed is that actually now most people want a home they just mm-hmm. want a home mm-hmm. and be that rented as you said or be that bought it doesn't matter but what it needs to be is it needs to be a decent quality home it needs to be of decent size it needs to be lifetime secure and that's where we're going and, and has potential for community there. exactly absolutely that you're embedded and you have that possibility to develop community but i do think that if we look at how values have changed over time that they are by people talking about them they're about people actually asserting those values so young people and generation locked out generation rent need to be proud and go this is the type of value system this is the type of country we want and we're not going to be ashamed and we're not going to let ourselves be blamed for this crisis that policy has created and the previous generations have created we actually want some different we see housing completely differently and i think that's mm-hmm. the shift that hopefully is coming mhm Thanks so much for that, Rory. That's Listen. perfect. Thank you to Rory. Thank you to you for listening. I genuinely hope you came away from that feeling invigorated and empowered and inspired by what the people in Berlin did. I hope you feel that you have a new set of tools or a new set of options. I really enjoyed that chat and it made me feel a little bit more optimistic about the situation that we could enact change around it. So... I'm gonna. I'm doing something different with the sign off this week. Usually, I sign off straight away and I say goodbye, dog bless, whatever. I'm gonna do that, and then when that happens, there's a little advert plays at the end. They play the little end roll advert. This week, I'm doing something different. I have a new segment that I want to introduce at the end of the podcast, which I want to do every week, but I want to keep it optional for ye. Uh, I don't want it to be something it mightn't interest everybody so I'm going to put it after the end ad and, and there'll be a new a new little segment that I'm going to do every week that I'm going to try out because it's something I want to do personally but not necessarily something everybody's going to be interested in so dog bless if you're not interested if you are interested stick around for after the advert Even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, so this, this is what I'd like to do every week from now on. So you notice that I mention, uh, follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash the blind by podcast. And if you've been listening to this podcast a while, you'll know what I do on Twitch once a week. So I'll try and make this as simple as possible. Twitch is a live streaming platform. Generally, what people do on Twitch is a streamer might play a video game and a bunch of people watch. And while the streamer is playing the video game, they're talking over the video game, they're commenting about what's happening, and they're speaking with the people who are watching. And that's what Twitch is, and it's a lot of crack, and people love it. But then I had the idea of, why don't I go on Twitch and play video games, but instead of commenting, I'm writing songs in the moment about what's happening in the video game. So live songwriting to a digital environment. I call it hyper-real songwriting. And I do it as an art project. And I do it because often with any piece of art, whether it be a music or, or a book or a painting, what we tend to see is just the final piece. And we're never invited into the process that the artist went through making it. So with this project, people are, are part of the process. It's no longer about just the final piece. You can tune into Twitch and I'm playing a video game and I'm literally creating a song about what's happening in the video game in the moment off the top of my head. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what the next line is. I'm literally making things up as I go along and sharing the creative process with whoever's watching and it's really exhilarating for me and it's a load of fun especially when I achieve creative flow and to be able to share that with other people, and then to have the buzz. I also get to confront my own fear of failure, because the biggest barrier that any artist has is the fear of failing. If you're scared of failing, you won't create. So you have to be not afraid of failure. You have to invite failure into your process. You have to recognise that it's inevitable. So when I go on Twitch live and try to make songs up on the spot, and to perform them with instruments and to produce them on the spot... There's no way I can be afraid of failure because I, I I fail every two minutes. It's consistent failure and then the odd success. And that then helps my self-esteem as an artist. So each week I go on Twitch, I play a video game. I have my guitar, my bass, my drums, keyboards, recording equipment. And over about an hour and a half, I might write maybe four songs Often three of them are shit. I don't like them. But every week generally there's one song that I write. And I'm like, I like that. I'd go back and work on that. I'm happy with that. So that's what I'm going to do at the end of the podcast from now on, I think. Is I'm going to take a song that I would have written live on Twitch. To the events of a video game. And then play it at the end of the podcast. Also, because these songs are written to a visual, to the events of a video game, when I remove that visual and only present the audio of the song, 
the lyrics are now recontextualized and achieve a new meaning. So the songs are actually quite different when you listen to them versus when you watch them with the video game playing to them. And I'm quite excited by that idea. This is also the reason I put it at the end of the fucking podcast, because I'm aware not everyone's interested in this. This is quite a selfish project for me. This is something I want to do. I fucking love doing this. I lo- It's a privilege to be able to go onto Twitch every single fucking week and to, to write songs, to write fucking songs for, for, for people watching. I love doing it. Um, it's an absolute privilege. And again, thank you to my fucking patrons because it's only because of my patrons that I'm able to do this once a week and to have the equipment to do it and to embark on an artistic project that is in no way commercially successful at all. But I get to do it for the joy of creating. So thank you to everyone who supports me in doing that. The song I'm going to play for you is called The Moon Made Me Shit My Pants and it's one of the first songs I wrote on Twitch to the events of a video game. And basically what happened is that I was walking around Red Dead Redemption 2 in in a mining town, 1900s. And I looked up into the sky in the video game and I noticed that the moon was moving really fast across the sky. Because in the video game, the daytimes are a lot shorter than they are in real life. So the moon was visibly moving fast. And then I thought to myself, fuck it. What would I do in real life if I saw the moon moving that fast? And the reality is... I'd probably do a shit into my pants because it'd be terrifying if I just saw the moon like moving that fast. So I just went with that thought. I didn't critique it. I didn't say it was good or bad. I just went with it. I played a few chords on the piano and wrote a fucking song to it in the moment. And the whole point of creative flow is there's no critique. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm connecting with a feeling. And in that moment, the moon moving fast across the sky, the poetry of that image connected me with whatever it is inside myself that's able to write songs that I like. So here's The Moon Made Me Shit My Pants from uh, Twitch, from my live Twitch stream. I'll catch you next week. And also, I am happy with the songwriting in this song, but I'm not happy with the audio fidelity. It was one of the first songs I made on Twitch and I hadn't quite uh, mastered my equipment yet. The, m- the moon is moving too fast Across the sky It's a moving moon A moving moon I think if I saw the moon like that in real life I'd do a shit in my pants Cause the moving moon That moving What a lovely lamplight, can I get some service? Can I speak to the manager? There was a moon outside and it made me shit my pants The moon made me shit my pants The moon made me shit my pants The moon Oh,
of a fright And then the moon made me shit my pants And I'm wondering Are you selling trousers for a man with shitty pants? I've had a lunar accident A lunar accident in my trousers The meal Can I have some no trousers? Can I have? yours or are they dungarees you see the moon made me shit in my pants and I need new ones is this a lot of baskets full of trousers even a pair of galoshes or maybe some slacks cause the moon made me shit my pants even a pair of shorts, shorts or dungarees, shorts or dungarees, because the moon made me shit my pants. Now my pants are all shitty, and it Shit your pants 